Hi, I'm Hin Septi, and I'm the co-founder and chief growth officer of Weldingcast. And to me, it's a matter of dreams. Thinking big has been redefined by technology. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Things that didn't seem feasible just a few years ago have become realities, pushing the boundaries of what's possible. The beauty industry has been run by a handful of global conglomerates for decades. Challenging the status quo is almost unthinkable and conjures up a David and Goliath narrative. However, now more than ever, it feels like there's no limit to how far or how big we can think. With a mission to build a global beauty and wellness house of brands, Hin Sebti, co-founder and chief growth officer at Waldencast, is reframing what a beauty strategic looks like. Hi, Hin. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kelly. So pleased to be here. Yeah. You know, can you share a bit about your backstory as a way of setting a foundation for our conversation today, particularly what's led up to the building of your current focus, which is Waldencast? Sure. So I'll start at the very beginning, if you don't mind. Of course. <laughs> the cynic route. I was born and raised in Morocco. So I am Moroccan and I always had growing up in that beautiful country, a passion for beauty because beauty is in everywhere, in every details and in our rituals. So when I started my career, I really wanted to work in this industry from the beginning. So I started after an engineering degree, which was a bit of a, an unusual way to start a beauty career, but it was very, very helpful to me. I started at Procter & Gamble in France, in Paris, where I started really through the usual career path for marketeers and brand builders, being a product manager, a brand manager. And then I moved on with Procter & Gamble from Paris to London, where I've been ever since. And then I pursued my passion for beauty, moving from Procter & Gamble to L'Oréal, where I did the same brand manager, general management. And my last role at L'Oréal was general manager of Maybelline and Essie. So I was responsible for the makeup business for the UK and Ireland. And at that moment, I think it's one of those career moments when you go, I love this industry. I worked in two great houses, great brands, big and small. What is next when we look towards the future? And I always had first personally an entrepreneurial itch. I always wanted to try and do things differently, but I also saw being in this industry, so many opportunities for indie brands, you know, indie brands that we know have been the lifeblood of this industry for the last years, connecting with consumers, bringing newness and being just more in tune with the values of what people want today and tomorrow. So I thought is a time for me maybe to go and try creating something from scratch. At the time, I shared these thoughts with Michelle, who was my co-founder at Weldingcast, and also friend at the time we met at L'Oréal. And I said, you know, I want to go and create a brand or brands. And to my great positive surprise, he thought that it was a great idea. And to my even better great surprise, he said, you know, I've been trying and thinking of doing the same thing because I believe there is an opportunity to build a platform that can be the really the home of the high growth beauty and wellness brands of tomorrow, be it brands that we build or brands that we acquire or that we invest in. And this was kind of the starting point for Weldingcast. And we decided to create Weldingcast together a little bit over three years ago to do exactly that. It's interesting because 
the first, you know, investors have gotten very interested in the beauty and wellness sector over the past decade. And there's also have been a lot of people with sort of a similar vision of building a portfolio of beauty brands, which conceptually and logically, it makes sense. But historically, they've sort of fallen apart in the execution. All indications point that you guys have a very successful vision. And I think it's, I think one part, it is that entrepreneurial spirit that you mentioned, because I think sometimes these platforms and portfolios take on a very sort of logical approach, right? You put enough brands together, you share resources, like logically it's very easy, but I think what they forget is that you're dealing with entrepreneurs that there is sometimes an illogical element that creates the success. But you guys obviously are well on your way. And knowing both of you a little bit, I think it's been very interesting because I think you are already successful, but I think you know your vision is quite big. I have no doubt you're going to achieve it. But what is your secret sauce in this sort of building this house of brands? Because to me, it feels very different than all the other pitches I've heard. So, I mean, our journey started when we have to kind of ground ourselves in the vision that we set for ourselves is we said we want to create a global best-in-class beauty and wellness platform that becomes the home of the indie brands of tomorrow, those brands with a soul, with a purpose, with high growth that we can build, acquire, and ultimately scale through operational expertise and know-how. Because I think what we're bringing into this kind of journey is our own beauty operators experience. We come from a place when we have run beauty brands, we build beauty brands. And beauty, as you know very well, Kelly, is a separate industry. You cannot just roll into this industry from anywhere. It requires this mix of what we call, and I think you touched upon it, of art and commerce. It's not all logic, it's dreams, it's vision. It's doing something a bit different that is not rational. It's not a business of synergies. It's a business of brands. So once you have the brand, we always say, do the right thing for the brand and the consumers and the rest would follow. There is no, let's look at the PL and you know have the same teams working on multiple brands. And I think it requires having works in this industry to understand that. And I think this is really the first thing that we say in Waldencast is we have done it. We know what we're doing and we're working on an industry that we know extremely well. The other points is also we want to build this new vision that is built for both speed and scale. So if you think about indie brands today, they're known for the agility and their creativity and yes, doing things a bit differently. But then there is big established brands and companies that have the scale and the operational know-how. And we believe there doesn't need to be a trade-off. You don't have to forget your entrepreneurial roots to be able to scale. And what we're saying is within Weldingcast, we keep the entrepreneurial spirit of the brands that we invest in, acquire, and so on, but give them the ability to scale through common knowledge and know-how. We never talk about synergies. Those might exist or not, but it's not the reason why we're building a portfolio. We're building a portfolio where each brand stands on its own feet with its own personality and keeps a bit of its magic. When you look at brands or businesses to invest in, do you have a general investment thesis that you're working against or, you know, what is your ideal target? Because it's interesting, you, you've invested in businesses of all different sizes and they haven't just been consumer brands. 
when we started, we started with Welding Cast Ventures and brands where we create brands and invest in early stage brands that we don't own. We can be minority, you know, to kind of sometimes majority investors. And more recently, we did Welding Cast PLC, which is our combination with Milkan Obaji that sits separately. But across the board, where we focus is we are a beauty pure player. We focus on what we know, which is beauty and wellness, because now the boundaries between beauty and wellness have been blurred, and rightly so. Second, we focus on values, you know, values that align with ourselves. When we created Welding Cast, we said there must be a way to also do the beauty business in a slightly better way, more inclusive, responsible, sustainable. So the number one thing we look at on brands is alignment with our values, and then they need to be brands with a DNA. A lot of what we see in the market today, I wouldn't call them brands. They're more collections of products. So by definition, they are not here to stand the test of time. We're looking for brands that have the DNA and the right to be here in 100 years. And that what we help them with is really fulfill this vision and that potential as for being part of the welding cast ecosystem. And of course, these are brands that sit in high growth category that are already high growth. So we can really build them to that global big brands. So I think the entire industry was waiting to see what brands Walden Cast Acquisition Corp was going to pick up. It was a special purpose acquisition company. And last fall, you announced the, the business combination of Obaji and Milk and the transaction sort of is complete at this point. They're two wildly different businesses. I found the choice is fascinating because individually, they're these amazing brands. I've kind of different junctures, I suppose, in their growth path. But also you acquired milk at a time where people were kind of standing off the color category. And then professional skincare is, you know, even though skincare was hot, sort of professional brands are not sort of the sexiest, although sometimes they're sleeper and people, people are surprised at the size of these businesses. But can you share a little bit about why these brands? Of course. I mean, we were very lucky because when we were looking, we had our pick in terms of choice of brands that were available at the time because, you know, we're fortunate to know a lot of people in this industry. But we, Milk and Obaji stood up for us because one of the things we want to do as part of Falling Cast is to have a balanced portfolio of brands because we know that beauty is high growth, sustains all the cyclical kind of economical cycles. But actually, it only does that when you have a multi-category play, right? Because we know categories go up and down, price points or channels go up and down, but beauty overall is robust. So we wanted to do that. It was important for us to not have one brand, but have at least two brands. And what attracted us in Milka Nobaji is first the category. They both play in strategic categories, one is clean makeup, clean premium makeup, and the other one is science-led skincare, which have had an explosion, you know, especially since COVID and people understanding more and the whole rise of the skin to actual consumer. And we thought these are markets that we want to play in. And within those strategic markets, we thought that Obaji and Milk are amazingly positioned to also win on those markets and are outperforming them. Obaji is the number one physician dispensed brand in the US. I mean, 80 patents, you know, so many kind of awards in the range. And with still huge potential to grow, both in the US, because it's kind of limited to one channel really right now, and also internationally. On milk, it's playing on the high growth, you know, clean, 
makeup category. And it's already the number two clean brand at Sephora, having a cult following, you know, from a Gen Z consumer that we haven't really fully unlocked yet because it's a brand that has been built organically and under-marketed. So yeah, we thought they were the perfect starting points because they are great sectors, great brands in themselves with proven abilities and also quite complementary. We like that they play in completely different areas of the beauty spectrum. Traditionally, if you're building a new strategic, old strategics, you sometimes stumbled in incorporating these founder-led brands into their portfolio. So what does post-transaction look like for you in brands? I suppose milk is more the case than Obagi, but these brands that, you know, the founder plays a big role in where they've gotten to at this point. It's a great question, Kelly. I think it's also one that was at the heart of what we're building as Waldencast is we want founders to be part of the future success of their brands because often when you sell your brand to strategic, it is gone, right? You sell at one point, your involvement with the brand eventually goes away, but also the upside from your brand moving from 100 million to a billion is not captured. So what we wanted to do is have the right founders, and in the case of Obagi owners, that want to be part of the Waldencast journey. So in our case, the milk founders and kind of shareholders and the Obagi one are also now Waldencast shareholders, right? Because they believed in the big vision and the success that we want to all be part of. So that's this idea of a partnership when it comes from a, I would say, common incentive point of view. The second one is the respect of the brand DNA. We are not integrating the brands. We said from the beginning, we do not want to touch what made those brands successful. Milk has a headquarter in New York. Obagi is based on the West Coast. There's no vision for us to put them together or integrate them to a system. It is about keeping them, keeping what made them special and helping them accelerate it through specific growth levers. So there is no specific integration per se. And each company, you know, keeps its own culture from holiday planning to working arrangements to, you know, all those things that are very relevant to their teams. So we, this is not something that we stumbled on. And we're very, very excited actually to be partnering with founders today and tomorrow because they are the ones who made this brand magical to start with and giving them a much more longer runway to build it is exciting for us. Are you specifically looking for brands where the founders want to stay in it rather than take their exit and drink pina colonnas on the beach? You know, do you want that founder involvement? I mean, we like that very much, right? Because I mean, everybody have personal circumstances, people are at different life stages. So it's not a black and white decision, but I think it depends also on the stage of development of the brand. But when we started Wellingcast is we wanted partners that are part of the vision. So I would say that more for founders that believe they have so much more to give to their brands, but at the same time need the financial support of a strategic we are the right partner. I would pivot it the other way around. What are the next plans or the future M&A plans for Waldencast? I mean, right now, you know, we have a lot of brands and opportunities reaching out to us on a regular basis. Right now, as we just closed the transaction, literally a month ago, almost to the day, our focus right now is to deliver on the growth that we promised on both brands. So that's the short-term kind of focus. But yes, our future is made of M&A that is complementary to our portfolio and helps us get to that vision of 
our global best-in-class portfolio of wellness and beauty. Are there any specific consumer trends or categories you're watching right now? I mean, it's an interesting time. I love this industry. I mean, I've been in it for a long time and seeing the trends come and also go and kind of some of the cyclicalities of them is always fascinating. So it's almost when you ask about makeup, why did we go into color cosmetic? Because it was going to come back and it is coming back. Of course, you know, I like to call it historic perspective. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's going to come back. <laughs> Not that we've been here a long time, but we have historic perspective. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? It comes back and you know that after COVID, we know consumers, they will come hungry for makeup. And this is exactly what's happening in the first half, at least in the NPG data, we see that beauty is up but makeup is growing faster. So we had no doubt that this was going to come back. And also because we're here for the long term, right? It was not about an in and out. We have the time to see the cycle come through. I think the trends that are interesting to me are hair because they always this saying that it's makeup, then skincare, then hair. So interesting to see the development happening in hair. One of the reasons why we were also passionate about Obaji is their amazing skincare know-how which is with the skinification of hair, scalp, body, you know, gives us an amazing opportunity there for scale and actually, you know, help other brands. We are looking excited about the development of hair and scalp. You know, scalp was this trend that was going on for the last 10 years was about to happen. So I'm keen to see how it's going to really explode and become mainstream in consumers bathroom. I'm also kind of intrigued about the development of wellness and what it means in terms of how to make, again, wellness more mainstream through brand positioning, but also different products and offering to kind of satisfy consumer needs. And I think body, everything that is body in its various definition, really, because it has been the the last frontier and we see many brands, many exciting new concepts going there. So basically I'm saying everything, but in order, it's, it's these three things. We want to take this opportunity to share an organization that matters to us. The Independent Beauty Association, or IBA, is a nonprofit which helps small to mid-sized beauty businesses grow and succeed through education, assistance with international exports, connections to qualified service providers, and advocates for fair and reasonable regulations. Find out more at independentbeauty.org. I'm curious from an investor's perspective what your thoughts are on Web3 and the metaverse. It feels like all of a sudden the metaverse is everywhere, and it happened very, very quickly. But I'm curious from an investor's perspective, is it something you're looking at? Like how important do you think it's going to be for brands? I don't know in the near term. Well, I think long term, obviously something's going to happen, but it feels sort of, there's a lot of excitement about it, but it feels underdeveloped to me. Yeah. It's a topic that has been really teasing me more as an entrepreneur than an investor, right? Because when there's something new and exciting, you want to know first, what is it? And is it for me? Right. So I think like, and I agree with you, it suddenly came out of nowhere and became big. So I'm a big fan. I'll start there because I think with Web3 and the community building possibilities that it offers, because what we know, at least in our industry, it's all about community. I mean, over the years, it was just community had a different meaning, right? Over the years. I think this ability to build community, to personalize kind of experiences, which is the second thing that consumers are looking for in beauty, is very 
exciting. And me personally, I deep dive into it nine months ago. I said, okay, this sounds exciting and it's gaining momentum. So I want to understand more. So I did actively try to understand not only as a consumer myself, but how we can use it in our brand. So although we wouldn't invest specifically in, I would say, a Web3 kind of technology or platform because we focus on consumable as a company, you know, beauty products that consumers actually use. I think it's a very exciting marketing tool, community tool that we are trying to see how to best unlock the potential for our brands. I agree. I kind of have approached it from an intellectual standpoint and then had someone actually give me a tour of the metaverse. And it was fascinating. It wasn't exactly what I expected. And that's when I realized that I was like, whoa, this is way earlier than I realized. But the potential of it is definitely fascinating. You know, at the moment, it feels like deal flow has slowed dramatically. We keep track of it pretty closely. And I'm not going to say the bubble burst. I mean, there are a lot of factors at play. It may even be slower than sort of those months following the pandemic. But what advice do you have for brands looking to raise capital in the current environment? You know, there's lots of economic questions. We still have all the supply chain uncertainties, inflation. Do you have any advice for sort of fundraising in this environment? Yeah, I think it's because yeah, maybe people become more risk averse when there's so many uncertainties and, and things like that. I mean, we are still talking to people. We haven't, you know, reduced our focus on, you know, be it on the private investment side or on the, obviously the future M&A side. I think the number one thing is to be able to articulate why does the world need your brand? If we can articulate clearly why the brand and show the path to where this brand could go, it's about, I think for us, this is convincing, you know, like I believe this is a gap and there's a need for what you're offering. And I believe that you have the right plan to get there. The biggest thing that changed, I think, in plans that people are showing from a business plans, I mean, point of view, is that before it was all growth and forget about the profitability. Those were like, I think this ended three years ago. Now I think people want, we want to see more professional and responsible PL management, which is yes, growth, but also seeing that there is an acknowledgement of the profitability, not in the early years, but there is a plan to get there. If you cannot hit it now because of your cost of goods and your low volume, when you hit this threshold, you will be profitable, you know, for example, right? So we can see a path, not just for growth, but also for profitability, because I think those days of high growth without a vision of where it's going to become profitable are probably gone. But I always say, why does the world need another makeup brand? Why does the world need another skincare brand? I am not one that thinks the market is cluttered and this is enough. I think there's always room for a new good idea or a brand that is offering an experience or a benefit that other brands are not doing, but it needs to be articulated well. Yeah. You know, and I think maybe it was a cycle, right? It was, I think there was also a lot of new investors in the beauty space that were, I guess the best analogy is equating sort of consumer brands with the growth projections of technology, which I mean, that is just a reality that does not exist. I feel like there's almost sort of a sobering of these investors where now they understand beauty and consumer goods in a way that maybe they didn't when some of those growth at all costs sort of scenarios were happening. And I think it's better for 
entrepreneurs as well, because fundraising against sort of objectives that are unrealistic is not good for anyone. But the beauty of beauty, I always say, versus tech, for example, is yes, it doesn't have those, you know, fueling the growth and hoping for one winner. In beauty, there doesn't have to be only one winner. It's that expandable category. So that's why when people say, why is somebody launching a beauty brand in this super cluttered market? I was like, because there's a consumer for that brand and people will expand their, you know, their basket, their bathroom shelf, or somebody who was dissatisfied will move into the brand. And that's why we love this industry. It's because there's room for everyone to win. I agree. I mean, no matter how sort of cluttered or noisy the market gets, I'm with you. I believe that there's always an opportunity for a new idea that's well executed because ideas are one thing. Execution is sort of what makes them happen, right? In beauty, the only strategy the consumer sees is the execution. So yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I also feel like we are in this moment of tremendous innovation. And I feel like how we shop and, and the brands we use and how products are even sort of dispensed. I think there's so much innovation happening that we can't even contemplate what the future of these things look at. And I haven't really felt this sort of level of innovation in a long time. I mean, there was a period where I was like, oh, everything kind of feels the same. But I'm super excited about the industry right now more than I have been in the past. What excites you about the the future of beauty and wellness? Because I agree, they very much merged. I mean, I feel exactly the same as you do, Kelly, which is, I mean, there's still innovation. I would say the exciting innovation have always been, yes, of course, there's products and so on. But the best for me is how to connect with the consumer, right? Because when it comes to channels where the consumer experiences the brand or buys the brand, and channels where you talk to the brand. That's why the Web3 conversation I thought is super interesting because this opens so many doors for personalization, experiences, unique access. I mean, I cannot even say, you know, because it's so big, right? And because it's, so that's these two innovation from a retail and touch points point of view, media touch points is what excites me. And I'm always, what I love about meeting new brands and founders or when we work on brands ourselves here, is to kind of take that step back and go, what does the world need? What is missing? And what is missing often is also innovation about recreating a category that's been around for a long time, is I think there's very little to kind of tackle within the human body that hasn't been tackled in some way, but how to do it in a different way, how to address a consumer dissatisfaction from a usage result or just kind of an experience point of view. That's what I, the part of my job that I love is seeing all the creativity that people can think of, but it's always, for me, is about putting the consumer in the middle. Some things about the consumers never change, which is community, recommendation, people like me, and some things change, which is how we reach out to them, how we understand them, how we service them in the best possible way. And that is exciting, seeing how consumer habits, when I look at Gen Z, for example, who apparently the majority of them discover beauty through TikTok. That's a whole new world, you know, (laughs) using TikTok as Google almost into beauty. What does that mean in terms of engaging with them or servicing them? What are their needs? It's a world of endless innovation. I think as long as we look up with the consumer in the heart of it and try to address various unmet needs or consumer tensions. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, there has been, I want to say in the past 
four years, five years, this obsession with data and letting sort of data and Google trends lead the way for innovation. You know, when it was sort of during the pandemic and everyone was on Clubhouse, I was on sort of one of these panels that was about data. And I was like, listen, I was just like, you can't tell me vitamin C is trending. Okay, it may be trending, but it doesn't mean it's a trend. Like it was a new trend in 1996 when Celex C launched. <laughs> They're fundamentally different things, right? Trending and a new trend. And we kind of got into a little bit of this argument of, and I'm like, go stand on a sales floor and ask consumers what they want. Like there are people behind those data points. And I think for a while people were hiding, and maybe it was an extension of the pandemic, but people were kind of hiding behind data as this safety net of what's going to be next. But everybody's looking at the same data. So I don't know that it's a competitive edge. I mean, this is you kind of touching on what I love about this industry. And I think what sets people apart is this ability to be in touch. And there are things that you feel, you know, you see the data, of course, data is one of the many inputs and we would be unwise to ignore it. But you layer it with experience and talking to people. There's so many inputs that enable you to kind of have in your gut go, this is what's going to be next. This is where people are going. This is how people are behaving. And I love that. I mean, I still, I have to say the best part of my Saturday and Sunday, I'm around talking to beauty advisors in store because I mean, I'm lucky that I, my job is my hobby. <laughs> That's how I spend, but I love it because you discover so much more just in how many people ask you questions, you know, how people ask the questions, how they answer to your question. There's insights in everything when you are open to it. And I think that's the part of the job that really makes beauty people, beauty brands successful. And I always say, and it's going to sound a bit cliche, but I think beauty fundamentally is about loving people. When you love people and you really genuinely listen to them, this is where the breakthrough happens because you can feel, you like almost anticipate their need because they will not necessarily tell you. I don't necessarily believe in putting people and say, what do you need? It's about feeling it and putting multiple data together, data from, I would say, digital data or electronic data, whatever you want to call it, but also human data and looking around what's happening, what's happening in other industries that are close to beauty, like fashion, because these are, you know, we don't live in a bubble. There are other industries that are going through similar trends and learning from them is super important. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone a couple of days ago and they were like, no, let's talk about web four. And I was like, web four. And he's like, yeah, web four, where you actually like in real life, have a conversation with someone. And I kind of laugh, but on the other hand, I actually feel we've been talking a lot about death of brick and mortar retail. Brick and mortar retail is never going to go away. Like we're creatures of human touch and human interaction. And I really started thinking about this idea and, you know, how some segments, especially in the U.S., you know, department stores are still sort of struggling a little bit with figuring out what they need to be. But I also, you know, being a consumer like you are, you also can't underestimate just like basic customer service and like good old fashioned manners saying hello to someone, acknowledging they walk through the shop door. And I feel like maybe that is sort of what this technology-backed retail experience, but you don't see the technologies, you see the human interaction. I kind of feel like maybe that's the future of retail, but we'll see. 
I mean, when this kind of whole kind of conversation about e-com versus retail, and, and I agree with you, we are fundamentally like social contact is important and also experiencing products in real life is important. It's about experience. It's about giving our people a reason that beats the convenience to just click, click and get it delivered. So this is for me what is exciting when I look at great successes is you want to go there. I mean, London right now, I go to Harrods for the experience because I get lost in that maze. I discover new brands and each brand is a universe. And, you know, many, many other people do a great job. But, you know, it's that, that reason. You need to give an extra reason for people to go which I think is also endless in terms of what that means, right? And creates more opportunities for innovation to go back to your earlier question. And I'm excited. I mean, I'm the first one to go to any new retail concept I hear of, not just professionally, but as a consumer, I there's that experience element that always pulls us to go and at least give it one check or one go. And if it's good, but then you have a, a new loyal consumer or customer. Well, Hind, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And it has been really interesting to watch what you and Michelle are building because I really do think it's there's something special about it. There are a lot of investors in the beauty sector, but there's something I don't even know. You know, I think the thing that makes brands very often successful is that intangible. And if such a thing exists for investors, I think the two of you have it. Thank you so much. It's very kind. <laughs> and thank you for having me and for the chat. I really enjoyed it. You know, there's nothing I like more than to talk about beauty with like-minded beauty people. So thank you for the opportunity and for the kind words. Of course. Hi, I'm Hind. And for me, it's a matter of dreams, of dreamers and makers. For Hind, it's a matter of dreams. Waldencast believes there is a better way to do beauty, building the next generation of high-growth, purpose-driven brands anchored in transparency, inclusivity, responsibility, and sustainability, believing it isn't just good for people, it's good for business. Waldencast is not the only group challenging the big beauty status quo with dreams of building a portfolio of brands to compete with the incumbent global conglomerates. However, with a combination of entrepreneurial passion and big beauty operational experience, they've built a solid foundation, proving that they not only think big, but they have the ability to execute. So in the end, it's a matter of dreams. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.